Okay, guys, uh, we're in chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. These are probably Paul Paul's final written words. They may not be, but we like to consider that they are. This is his last epistle. This is his final charge. And, you know, when you think about that, usually when, when somebody knows that they're going to die and they give some instructions to their loved ones, you kind of pay attention to what's being said. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's the same thing here. This is the beloved apostle, and he's written half of the New Testament, influenced others to write at least three other books. And he's going to give a final charge here that we need to pay attention to. And what he says here is very relevant even today, especially as you look at our culture. And I'm not just talking about the North American culture. I'm talking about the North American church culture. And as you look at what he's saying here, it's very, very relevant. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, his final charge is in verses 1 through 5. So let's look at those together. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. All right, so this is Paul's final charge to Timothy, and and to be honest with you, his charge can be for us as well. So let's take a look. First of all, he's going to talk about the importance of this charge. Here's the importance of the charge. Paul issues a final charge to Timothy before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge everything. So he's wanting, this is really stressing the emphasis. So he's he's not just saying, hey, I want to tell you a few words. He says, look, I'm telling you this before God who judges everything. So there's a sense in which what he's telling us, we're accountable for. Okay? You're accountable to God. I'm accountable to God concerning what I do with what Paul's going to tell us here. So verse 2, he tells us the charge. So he starts off, and just so you don't say, well, this is for you, George, not for me, our English translation translates it, preach the word. Another way to translate it would be proclaim the word. Because as soon as you see the word preach, you're thinking, well, that's what you do, George. I'm not a preacher. Well, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a preacher. He's talking about you and I proclaiming God's word throughout your life as you have opportunity. So here's what he's saying. Above all else, Timothy is to proclaim the word of God. Above all else, primary beyond anything else, is you and I need to be ready to proclaim the word of God to other people. Telling them about who? Jesus. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment. 
That's what we should be primarily telling people about is Jesus, not telling them how to, quote, live their lives. Not telling them what we think about this issue or that issue, okay? Our primary thing is to tell them about Jesus. Why? Because we understand that when they come to Jesus, that they truly come to Jesus, he gives them a new mind and a new way of thinking. Because if you're an unsafe person, you don't, you're not, you're not capable of understanding truth. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That's why they've got to be shown Jesus first, because when you become a new creature, you get a new what? Mind. So proclaim, so preach, okay? So above all, preach the word of God. And here's what he, he is to be ready to share the word of God at any time. I like the way he says, in season and out of season. What does that mean? In season and out of season. Huh? Yeah, at all times. So when it's the opportune time or not the opportune time. When you feel like it or when you don't feel like it. You need to be ready to proclaim the word of God to people whenever. Okay? When it's opportune or not. And and let's just be honest. For most of us, the time is never opportune. Just because of our human nature, we don't like rejection. We don't really want to be put in a position of kind of putting ourselves out there to be rejected. But the reality is, as he's telling us here, Timothy, you be ready to share the word of God at any time. At any time. Now, here's the manner of proclamation. Now, how do you and I proclaim it? Do we just go around and do like one of these street preachers and tell everybody they're going to hell and that they need Jesus? How do we do it? Well, he tells us in verse 2 as well. He said he was to proclaim God's word by convincing, rebuking, and exhorting. Convincing, rebuking, and exhorting. So let me just kind of go through those. Convincing. Well, that's helping people to understand truth. When we talk about convincing, we're not, we're talking about helping them to understand truth. Truth about who? Truth about Jesus and what he says. Rebuking. What does it mean to rebuke? It means to point out what? Yeah, to point out where somebody's wrong. So we're not just to convince them, but we're also to point out where their thinking is wrong. Where their life might be wrong in some ends. Okay? And then exhorting. Now that's interesting. He tells us to exhort. What does that mean? If I'm to exhort you, what were you saying, Lori? Encourage. I'm to present it to them as an encouragement. Okay? Not just tell them what they're wrong, but also encourage them. So he was to proclaim God's word by convincing, rebuking, and exhorting. And here's what he says. He was to do this with what? Two things. Patience and teaching. He was to do this with patience and teaching. Now, okay, why does he start off with patience? When you talk about dealing with people and you're proclaiming the word of God with them and you've got to either convince them or correct them through rebuking or exhort them, why the first thing is you and I must do that with patience? Okay, it doesn't happen overnight. Okay, does everybody agree with Bruce? You're not going to convince people overnight, right? In fact, you know, I once read something, this is years ago, 
called the law of seven touches. That usually before somebody comes to a place of even understanding or getting ready to make a decision for Jesus, they have to be touched with the gospel at least seven different times. Seven different times for them to ponder it and and be convinced about it. And, and think about it. You're like that. Just because you heard something one time doesn't mean that you're ready to go buy it, right? You've got to, some of you, you've got to hear more about it because you've been burned before by jumping at that first advertisement you saw if you sent in your 1995 and got those Ginsu knives which never need to be sharpened. Okay? By the way, my mom bought those Ginsu knives and they do need sharpened, okay? And so much for that lifetime guarantee, right? Where do you, where do you send that in, right? You know, it takes several times here. You gotta have, be patient with people. What do we lack with people though? Patience. As soon as they reject, what do we do? Forget that. I'm not gonna go there anymore. I don't wanna be hurt. I didn't like what he said to me the last time. I didn't like how she treated me. You gotta be patient with people. Because listen, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Satan has blinded their eyes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our gospel is not veiled, but their eyes are blinded by the God of this world. So you've got to be patient with them because they're not going to see it immediately. Okay? Patience, but also teaching. What does that mean? You've got to be consistent in presenting them with the truth. Be consistent with presenting them with the truth. And a lot of times, can I be honest with you? What you need to be consistent with in presenting to them is presenting to them Jesus, not your political reference point, not your view on this other issue, not your view on this or what church they go to. A lot of that's just pure distractions. And a lot of folks, if they if they hear that, they'll get their back up and they don't want to have anything to do with it. But no, you need to present to them who? Jesus and the truth of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't get into sideline arguments about stuff that are meaningless. I think a lot of times why people reject us is not because of Jesus, although they will reject because of Jesus. It's because we're focused on stuff that really is meaningless. He's saying, preach the word and do this with what? Patience and teaching. Okay? Patience and teaching. Now, Paul's going to tell Timothy something that you and I need to hear, okay? Because he's going to talk about the reason for the charge in verses 3 and 4. And he really is going to talk about the sign of the times. He's going to talk about where people are really at, okay? Because the fact of the matter is, is you, you could get excited about sharing the gospel. You could get excited about sharing about Jesus, but you'll find, as I do, that most people don't really want to do that, right? They don't really want to care. They don't want to see a change. And it's because of where they're at. So he's going to talk here about the reason for the charge. And here's what he says. Timothy was to do this because people will no longer endure sound doctrine. People will no longer endure sound doctrine. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. If you look around today, most people 
aren't really interested in a Christianity that preaches about Jesus and his death on a cross and the requirement that you come to him by faith and that you give your life to him and do whatever he wants you to do. Most people aren't interested in that. They want Jesus or they want the forgiveness, but they want to be able to do what they want to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? They want to live the way they want to live. They don't, they want a Jesus without demands. Do you understand? Jesus is the one who says, if anyone follow me, take up your cross and what? Follow me. That means dying to something in your life. Most people don't want that. They want to continue doing what they're doing and, but have Jesus and have forgiveness. And so people will no longer endure sound doctrine. This is why, can I be honest with you, a lot of churches no longer just teach about the Bible. A lot of churches do a lot of series about how to be a happy person, how to have a happy marriage, how to have a green lawn in a drought. You know, silly things like that. I'm just being honest with you. And it's all fluff teaching. It's actually pop psychology. But when it comes to sound teaching, where let's be honest, how many of you have found this? When you read the Bible, eventually God's going to point out something to you that you need to change in your life. Is that not true? Sometimes when you read the Bible, it makes you uncomfortable, right? But the problem is, is that we have a generation of people now who don't really want that kind of teaching. They just want to have people tell them what they want to hear. Okay, They're not going to endure sound doctrine. In fact, they will follow teachers who will tell them what they want as they fulfill their desires. Hey, you want to know why prosperity theologians are so popular? You want to know why the guys on TV who, 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 who are just flaunting their Rolexes and their designer suits and the fact that they just got a jet to fly around in the reason why they keep people keep sending them money, keep listening to them, keep supporting them, because eventually you and I would be like, hey, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this one out, does it? And like, why are people still supporting that? Okay, why are they doing that? I'll tell you why. Because those folks are telling people what people want to hear. People want to be rich and they want to get rich quickly. And so they'll listen to whatever lie, and it is a lie that they're being told, and they'll support it. And they'll buy it hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. They'll follow teachers who will tell them what they want as they fulfill their desires. You know, one of the things I found was very interesting here recently is, as I... Here in the last year, I get a lot of emails with articles pastors read. And some of the articles have shocked me. Like, I never thought that I would see these articles. One article, the title was, Why You Need to Quit Telling People to Quit Drinking. Really? Okay, I mean, the Bible doesn't, doesn't say it, you're, it doesn't forbid drinking. It forbids what? Drunkenness. But the church has always taken a position against alcohol simply because of the what alcohol does to the person and to a family. 
And so this writer was saying, hey, you need to just throw that all out. You don't need to worry about that. And so, you know, the problem is, is that people will grab onto that. Hey, I can do whatever I want. But here, here's what I've noticed with life. I grew up in a home of an alcoholic. One time in my life I drank before I became a believer. There is no line. Everybody's line is different where you cross over from being responsible to where you're being irresponsible with drink. And with every person, that line is what? Different. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you might have one person who might be able to handle one drink, but then you have another person, he can't even handle that. You understand? And so there is no line, so you just can't give a... Because people will latch onto it and say, hey, this is what I need to hear. I can do whatever I want. That's what's going on here. They're going to they're gonna follow teachers who are going to tell them what they need to do, especially tell them what they need to do and that they can do it even when God's Word tells them what? Not to do it. Not to do it. This is the world that we live in, is it not? Am I, am, I, am I just talking to the wind here today? Is this not the world we live in? It's actually the church world we live in, right? The church world, even in our area. I'm, I'm serious, there are churches in our area. You could be carrying on the most worst way, but you can be the most active member in a church. And the world looks at us from the outside and says we're filled with nothing but what? Hypocrites. Just being honest with you. So they will turn away from the truth of God's word to follow myths and fables. Now we know from Timothy, both letters, that when Paul talks about myths and fables, he's talking about Jewish end time teaching that was not based in the scripture, but was based in other writings and it was kind of like focusing on weird stuff, sort of like the blood moon things. So they, you know, so they're going to turn away from truth and follow after crazy teachings about the end times. And isn't that happening today? I mean, I just was informed yesterday. I think it was one of my own children said to me, Hey, dad. Do you know April the 18th is when the rapture is supposed to take place? And I hadn't heard that, so I whipped out my smartphone and Googled it, okay? Sure enough, there's a prediction on April the 18th, 2018, we're going to be experiencing the rapture. You know, you know what I'm saying? We're going to be experiencing the rapture. And how many people are going to pay attention to that? Because they no longer what listen to truth. They just listen to what they want to be told. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They just listen to what they want to be told. They'll turn away from the truth of God's word and follow myths and fables. This is the world we live in. Hey, folks, you're confronted with that every day, aren't you? You're confronted with some guy coming into your workplace and he's like telling you this crazy stuff and you're like... Are you kidding me? People, somebody's actually believing that? Or your co-workers telling you about their uncle or their aunt who's really into this? You know, and it's just amazing. 
But that's the world we live in. That's why you have to be ready. Now let's back up. This is why Paul's saying, you and I have to be ready in season and out of season to what? Be patient with people and with teaching what? Proclaim God's word. Be consistent. Now I already know what some of you are going to say. I'm not you, George. I don't have an understanding of the Bible like you or some of the elders. And I'm not sure that I can answer their questions. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. You don't really need to worry about that. In those times when you have the opportunity to share with somebody, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? I believe the Holy Spirit, because sometimes the issues aren't the issues. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Be ready. Be ready to answer. Be ready to share. Because here's the fact, folks. You're going to meet more people in a week than I will meet in a year. Do you understand what I'm saying? Different people. You'll have interaction with folks I will never have interaction with. Be ready. Because we live in a world where they're going to turn away and follow weird, crazy teachings. Weird, crazy teaching. So he's going to continue on with the charge. So here's what we need to do in the meantime. First of all, we need to watch. What does that mean? Timothy was to keep his head in all situations. You and I need to keep our heads in all situations. We need to be watchful. This this really means, to be honest with you, you need to be proactive in your Christian life on a daily basis and quit coasting. Have you noticed that when we coast, we get in trouble? When we coast, well, it's just, just the same old day, I'm just going to coast along. That's when we get in trouble. But no, you need to be watchful. You need to keep your head in all situations. Okay? Here's the other one. He was to endure suffering. There we go again. Paul's saying it again. You and I are going to go through what? Tough times. Tough times. So you and I need to what? Endure it. Endure it. Don't listen to the guy on TV who says to you, the reason why you're going through it is because you lack faith. No, the reason why you're going through it is because you live in this world. And the other reason why you're going through it is because you believe in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, you are marked for suffering. Period. Understand that. Here's the other thing. He was to actively seek to evangelize people. Here's the thing. You and I need to do the work of an evangelist. What does that mean? We need to be like Billy Graham? No. You need to be you, though, and look for opportunities to tell your loved ones and your neighbors and the people that you work with about who? Jesus. You need to be willing and ready to proclaim Jesus for everyone. Now, let me just stop for a moment so that we understand. Who saves people? Say that again, Bruce. Jesus. Okay, everybody understand. Who saves people? Jesus. Do you save people? No, your job is simply to what? Just tell them about him. They're the ones who have to meet him and respond to him, right? 
Jesus is the one who saved them. So can we, can we get that out of our, get that out of our thinking that we're the ones who are responsible? You're not responsible. Jesus is the one. In fact, this morning I was reading in John chapter six, Jesus was saying to the people there that nobody comes to the Father except the Spirit draws a man. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the Holy Spirit who draws people. But you and I are given the responsibility to what? Tell others about Jesus. And we need to. We need to do the work of evangelists. We need to actively seek to evangelize people. And here's the thing. He was to carry out his ministry fully. You say, well, I'm not in ministry, George. No, but you have a ministry. If you're a mom here, you have a ministry. Who's your ministry to? Your family. If you're living, who's your ministry to? Everybody who's around you that you interact with on a daily basis, whether it's your family or the people that you work with or your neighbors, you're to carry out your ministry fully. God puts you here for a reason. God puts you here for a reason. So now he's going to give his own testimony of faith. So look with me at verses 6 through 8. This is Paul's testimony of faith. He's going to talk about himself. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Okay, so let's take a look here. Look at his testimony of faith. He's approaching death. Paul tells Timothy that he knows that the time of his death is approaching. Paul sees the handwriting on the wall. This is not like the first journey where he knows that he's supposed to appear before Caesar and that that the Lord will probably deliver him. But this time he knows, this time when he appears before Caesar, this is it. It's going to be over. So he knows his time is approaching. So I want you to notice his perspective on life. Reflecting on his life, he states he fought a good fight as he has kept the faith. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? When the time draws to the end, wouldn't you like to say to people, yeah, he fought a good fight. He fought for the Lord. He kept his faith. Do you understand? And, and you know, some of us, we can think back. I know in my life, I can think back to men who are now with Jesus, and I can say, that they were like the Apostle Paul. They fought a good fought fight. They fought a good fight, and what? They kept their faith. That's what we want to do. We don't want to shipwreck our faith, do we? We want to keep on. So here's the coming reward. He looks forward to receiving his reward from Jesus at his coming. And so I gave you some notes there. I talked about the crown of righteousness. What does that mean? And I talked about the last day, okay? I talked about the last day. Now, you and I have a reward coming, and one day Jesus is going to give you your reward. Is that not awesome? Is that not awesome? So then verses 9 through 13, we're going to look at this. He's going to talk about the reality of friends. He's going to talk about different friends that he had. So notice what he says, verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me, 
Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Okay, so let's talk about it here. First of all, we're going to see, he tells Timothy to make a diligent effort to come and see him. Timothy, do everything you can, come see me. Because he knows his time's at hand. He doesn't know how much longer he has. He knows that he's going to face the executioner's sword. Now, I need to remind you, remember, Paul is a Roman citizen. And a Roman citizen was guaranteed that when he was executed, he would not be crucified. But rather, he would be killed quickly by having his head removed with a sword. Quite a quite an option there, right? Still death. But it's quick death versus what? Prolonged death and crucifixion. So he knows that he's about to die, and he says, Timothy, come visit me. Quickly, come. Then he talks about another fellow by the name of Demas. Verse 10. Paul was abandoned in his time of need by Demas, who fled to Thessalonica. So one of Paul's friends who was there decided to abandon him and fled to Thessalonica. Now, History has not been good about Demas. Demas is seen as a traitor. Do you understand? As somebody who abandoned someone. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever been through a crisis? Your family's going through a crisis and you had somebody in the family unit bail on you and wasn't there and just kind of went off and did their own thing because they were afraid. How did the family look at that person? They didn't look at him very well, did they? This is where Demas was at. And here's the thing, Paul stated that Demas fled because he loved this present world. He didn't like the heat that Paul was going through. He didn't like, he didn't like that the fact that Paul was going to die. He was really scared for himself and so he fled. He fled. He talks about Cretan and Titus. Paul tells Timothy that Cretan and Titus have departed for other areas of ministry. So here he's got a couple of companions that they had to move on to other areas of ministry. So you'll see some notes there concerning Christians and Titus. In fact, we're going to talk about Titus here soon because we're going to go through his letter, okay? The letter to Titus. And then he talks about Luke. Now, who's Luke? Luke's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So Paul tells Timothy that Luke is the only one who's with him. What a faithful friend, right? The only one who's with him. And then he says, this is interesting, because if you remember when we studied the book of Acts, there was a dispute that arose between what? Barnabas and Paul concerning a certain fellow. Who was that fellow? Mark. Because Mark abandoned them on their missionary journey. But I want you to notice how time heals things. And obviously the relationship is good now again, because... Paul asked Timothy to bring Mark with him since he is useful to the apostle in ministry. So things got worked out there. Isn't that wonderful? Now here's the final thing. Final couple things. Paul tells Timothy that he sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So this is another fellow. He sent him back to Ephesus. 
And then he tells them what his needs are. And they're pretty basic. Here's what he wants. And you can think about why he needs them. Paul tells Timothy to bring him his cloak. Why would he need a cloak? He's in a dungeon. And do you understand what I'm saying? It's damp. It's dirty. It's probably cold. He's saying to him, bring me a cloak. But not just a cloak. And his books and parchments. What is he talking about there? The scriptures. Bring me my scriptures. Bring me my reading so I can rest in God's word. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting where he's at there? So, okay. 